right, everybody. Week two of the Safe at Home podcast. Um, huge shout out to all of our listeners last week. If you missed that episode, it is up on several different platforms. We got it up on Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, it'll be up on Apple pretty soon. Uh, that episode is also on our YouTube channel, so check us out there. Anyways, we're here for episode two. We got a great, great show tonight. Uh, I am Megan Tony now, aka Tones. I am here once again uh, with the highly anticipated, highly requested Emily Carr. Welcome Unbelievable. back, Emily. Thank you so much, Megan. We got to give the fans what they want. We couldn't not yeah. have you on the show again. Well, speaking of giving the fans what they want, since you gave me such a nice intro last week, I wanted to share a little story about our time oh, in boy. college together <laughs> not not like that but like <laughs> oh buddy softball story a softball story all right buddy let's hear it yeah so uh for those of you who don't know Tom, Megan and I uh played softball for different teams in college and we played against each other and when we were my team was about to play her team we go like go through the scouting report and we are talking about like the lineup and tones is at the top of the order and we get to tones and i'm like okay like good luck like playing her like straight up she's gonna she's gonna bunt it and she's gonna get on base you play her for a slap she's gonna hit it through like if you play her for a bunch she's gonna slap it past you like if she's gonna get on base no matter what and i have been playing shortstop this year for some reason we don't need to get into that but uh, <laughs> I, I'd been playing shortstop and so she gets up to bat during the game and I'm just like I don't know where to play because she can bunt she can slap and she can hit and like I don't know what I'm doing out there and so I'm just kind of sort of playing her straight up and like hoping that like I can run to get a ball if she like plays it short and what do you know this girl gets up and oh, she no. a bunt <laughs> You know this. <laughs> I, I suddenly know which story you're talking yeah. about. She shows bunt, and I'm like, okay. And there was, I think there was a runner on first, and so I'm going over to cover second. And she freaking bunts it over the pitcher's head, and it lands <laughs> right behind the pitcher. And I'm like, you can't even, you can't plan for that. Like, how did she do that? Oh, and, man. Eventually, she gets to second base, and I am just, I'm like, how did you do that? How did you do that? Like, yeah. I already knew that you get on base every single time, but how the heck did you do that? And to this day, she still says that it was unintentional, and... It was. You know, <laughs> there was anybody who could do it with skill. Tones is the only person who could ever do that with skill. Oh, so, buddy. That's my story. I appreciate that one. That's one for the ages. Um, <laughs> by the way, the runner on first... Uh, was Kate Deming, yeah, a yeah. member of the Save at Home team, yeah, uh, which is also kind of funny. And I do remember encountering you immediately after that play, and you and I were so friendly during softball. We were just laughing, and that's one of the best parts about playing against you, buddy. Is um, this is probably against all rules of softball, but I played first base, and I wouldn't mind if you got a hit because I wanted to talk to you, and I wanted to say hello, and if you hit a dinger, then I couldn't talk to you. <laughs> well, luckily, I never did against you guys, so. By the way, I just took a note that we need to have a show about um, you playing shortstop because apparently there's a story behind that, so. Oh. Well, <laughs> we can chat. <laughs> all right. Let's get into it. Uh, yeah, so we have a great show tonight. Um, last week we talked about Olympic dreams. We talked about the relationship between softball and the International Olympic Committee. Um, tonight we are opening up another can of worms. Uh, we're going to talk about youth sports. Um, we're going to talk about youth softball. And um, in our mid-20s here, low to mid-20s here, me and Emily, we've seen a lot of changes in the sport of softball. And we've seen a ton of an insane amount, which is crazy to think about because I think most people would consider us pretty young, yeah, you know, I just did. a year or two out of college. And so, but we can remember some really significant things that have happened in the youth sports arena. And I might've said this last week, but I'm gonna say it again. Emily Carr, very qualified, took a graduate course all about 
youth sports. So she's going to guide us through some of this stuff and really get to the bottom of, um, I've been trying to put a good word on youth sports, but I guess I would say the eruption of youth sports, which can kind of mean a good thing and kind of mean a bad thing. We'll probably hit hit both sides tonight. You can say eruption and corruption. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Eruption and corruption. Um, And I will say we've done a lot of reading about this. Um, We're going to talk about a lot of different articles and stuff tonight. So I thought maybe, buddy, we would talk a little bit about first our background with youth sports and um, not only us working with youth sports, but maybe um, if you could start and give a little background about what you did growing up as a youth player. Yeah. So I think both of us were multi-sport athletes like throughout um I started specializing in sport my junior year of high school so it wasn't until I was 16 years old that I I stopped playing more than one sport and even when I I did stop I still played other sports like recreationally just around with my friends Mm -hmm. Um, but starting in the very beginning I grew up with a ball in my hands like playing t-ball and baseball with the boys um me and Kate Deming at the She's, again, on the safe at home team. Um, We played baseball together when we were, I think, three years old is when we started. And then we grew up playing softball, and she made the switch to fast pitch softball sooner than I did, a few few years before I did. And then I actually didn't start playing fast pitch until I was, I think it was nine or ten years old, which, like, now seems, like, so late, which is crazy. Right people we know like didn't get into it until after that even when we were playing slow pitch and then we wanted to play fast pitch you played for like the community ball association um and we played with them um i think until we were 13 years old Mm -hmm. um and that's right when like club softball was starting to become a thing so at that point there were only like two or three club teams in the entire state um and we made one like based around our like our town had like really good like a really good um it was a really good feeder for softball i guess so we built up our club team around like our really good players from our town which was really cool um and that's how we started and it was great and it was super fun and I stayed in a majority of us stayed with that club throughout high school and mm-hmm. and that, that was kind of it um, and I mean we'll talk about how that's different now but that was that was my journey yeah. and in high school you played softball and uh, this is funny I actually so I played organized basketball in middle school nice. like grade school and middle school and then I stopped growing so when I was in in elementary and middle school I was like the tallest one and so I was playing like four and five in basketball post position and then I have um, no idea what that means by the way I wasn't a basketball player you're you're, you're a hockey player so (laughs) tall people positions so then once I stopped growing I had the skills of a tall person but the height of a short person and that did not work out very well so I stopped playing basketball um, before eighth grade, I think. And then um, my parents were the ones who encouraged me to still like be involved in other sports, which like I greatly appreciate. Um, and I actually ran cross country, which was wow. Cool. And like anybody who knows me cannot imagine me like running because I'm not a long distance <laughs> runner by any <laughs> um, But me and another gal um, on the softball team like we just did it to stay in shape and be active and work different muscles than we normally would so that's awesome through sophomore year and then junior year was when I started just softball so yeah Yeah. awesome all great things um yeah very similar experience on my end um grew up playing just recreation softball around the city um I played a bunch of other things at the same time I think until fifth or sixth grade I was um, then playing fast pitch softball. I was a hockey player. 
I was also a competitive dancer. So I um, was jumping from dance competitions to the hockey rink um, out to the softball field sometimes. And that was crazy. Incredible. Um, it was a lot of fun though. That, that, that's the way I like to do it. Um, yeah, I would say fast pitch, I really didn't start till 12U. Um, and I didn't play on a club team till the community team folded, which is something we'll get into um, when we talk about club softball today. Um, and I played hockey all through high school. I miss hockey a lot. And then it wasn't until college where I was only playing one sport. Um, so that's just a little bit about my background. And we'll touch more on our backgrounds as we kind of go through the night. Um, but just to start out, um, you mentioned specialization in sports and the youth sports debate really surrounds this idea of specialization and this idea that kids need to play, um, but they're only picking that one thing at a very young age. Yep. Yeah, I think, um, and you guide me where, where you want to go here, but just generally, I think it's so different now. I mean, us being 12 years old, like, that was only 10, 12 years ago, you know? So it's right. <laughs> like, that's not that long ago at all. And we just talked about how we were playing different sports all the time, whether it was organized or just like in the streets with our neighbors, you know, and like that sort of thing. Uh -huh. And like that kind of unstructured free play was so much fun. And it's it was such a healthy environment where um, you look at, situations now and I think a lot of kids feel pressure to specialize at a young age because they're afraid if they don't that they're not going to be good and they're right. not going to make the team and if they don't make the team then they're not going to be able to play and I think that idea is just kind of a, a nasty downward spiral and I right. think there's pressures coming from a lot of different areas whether it be parents or just societal pressures or um, pressures coming from within the organizations or the teams like it's coming from all over and these poor kids are they're not even 10 12 years old and their bodies are not even close to being fully developed and I mean there, there's so much to unpack so right and we're starting with specialization and I think you hit it right on the head it's almost like when I was thinking about this and preparing for this I couldn't necessarily point a direct finger at okay which aspect is the number one leader for causing kids to specialize because I think for many kids it could be a few different things it could be their parents it could be the team they play for meaning the coaches or the organization who's running it it could be what their friends are doing it could be like yep. there's just so many things that play into specialization yeah um so let's get into to here, um, I read that Atlantic article you sent to me yeah. about the landscape of youth sports and how much it's changed. Yep. And um, I pulled a few quotes out of there. Um, the first one that I thought we would talk about, which really actually kind of shook me, um, was the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons found in 2017 that high school college and professional athletes trained in a single sport for a comparable number of months each year yes so that means kids that are 14 years old and professionals if you think of a sport like football i mean my 14 year old neighbor is training at the same speed as an nfl player is is what that study shows and so to say that um, those are on the same level as far as training goes and as far as how much they're putting into the sport, uh, that that study, I mean, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous when you think about it. And I mean, some people might look at it and say, oh, like they're young, they can handle it. But in reality, like it's because these kids bodies are not fully developed yet and because they're growing that they are more at risk um, these kids have they don't have the adult muscles and tissues within the body that are 
more able to take that sort of strain and stress on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And this this new tissue is a lot more prone uh, to these overuse injuries because you know it's it's weaker and it's growing and it's it's not right. fully developed. So if if a kid's doing the same amount of of work and of high intensity of work like it's it's risky for them and yeah and that's when you see these overuse injuries and I feel like when we were growing up playing sports I mean that's not a new thing so like when we were playing multiple sports we had this understanding that okay when I'm in softball season I'm in softball shape I'm working a lot of upper body I have my lower body working as well um, but then like when I would play hockey part of the reason I was could hit the ball as far as I could in softball was because I played hockey, which basically jacked my legs all winter. And so like, there's a lot of overlap in those muscles, but there's also muscles that when I would get to the first week of softball, I'm like, wow, I haven't used these in a while. And so I feel like when we were growing up playing sports, that's almost what was encouraging us to play multiple sports because, and even you said doing cross country, I mean, that got you in shape right so absolutely has that disappeared I, I mean it that's a part of it especially the science part of it people are, seem to ignore that yeah no I, I completely agree with you on that I think it's really ignored I think when people talk about youth sports today it's more like okay what can we do that we're not already doing how far can we push this how much more can we train how much better and it's that's something that's I feel like it's so encouraged today and like I totally understand like the mindset where it comes from like you hear about these pro athletes like I hate to keep going back to soccer like I did last week but Carly Lloyd one of the best women's soccer players of all, she has this training regimen where she literally trains every single day even on Christmas and Easter and on, on like every holiday she trains and she's like I train every day because like that's what the best do and like only like everybody else is resting and I'm working and and that's a fantastic mindset to have and like that's definitely a champion mindset but I mean if you don't think that Carly Lloyd works different muscles in her body every time she works out or 100% if she doesn't take a rest day like every now and then like right for at least parts of her body like she's not working the same muscles every single time she works out you know and right. i think something that gets lost in translation like when people hear oh like these elite athletes are, are working out every single day they get this idea they're doing the same exercises the same amount of reps and just like yeah. pushing pushing the same stuff every single day when really there needs to be a more holistic outlook and the the such like the narrow mindset of it is i think what's what's really causing all this emotional stress and and physical stress right and to keep on the physical side of things just thinking about some of the athletes that i've encountered and i i remember like i was coaching 12 year olds and i had a player who was only playing softball and i remember she had like this very serious knee injury and she came up to me and was talking about it and i don't remember if she said the word meniscus or or something like that she said that she had hurt this body part or, or muscle or whatever it was and I was thinking in my head I was like I, when I was 12 I don't even know what that was right exactly so, like this is so this is so unfortunate that that's happening to you because that sounds like something my college teammates did right exactly experience exactly. yeah so, crazy. I think going off of that uh, like with the overuse and the crazy injuries we're seeing young kids get now um, kind of a uh, to juxtapose that that narrative a little bit uh, just pulling some some facts here and some statistics please I think the uh, the narrative again like we just said is that people who get to the the highest level are ones who have specialized the most and who work the same things the most mm-hmm. when really uh, about 88% of all, if you want to talk about the highest level, all Division One athletes, 88% of them competed in more than just one sport growing up. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's, it's crazy to me. And I think we talk again, like the importance of playing different sports and working different muscles consistently in your body until 
15, 16 years old when you are more fully developed. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, if we're talking about softball players and um, to generalize female athletes, that's the age where your body really kind of slows down a little bit physically sure. uh, as far as development. So at that point, yes, that's probably okay to start, you know, specializing a little bit more. But until then, I mean, the, the elite athletes are playing different sports. Mm -hmm. Right. And to piggyback off of the Division One athlete stat that you pulled, because I pulled that one too, um, the 88% of D1 athletes competed in more than one sport growing up. And 30% of Division One athletes specialized before the age of 12. So it, it's just kind of when you think about, because specialization, um, there is a path that leads directly to a scholarship for college. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that's probably one of the pushes for sports specialization because my son or daughter needs to get to the Division One because I don't want to pay for college, so we need to get that scholarship, which is completely understandable. I mean, we went through college. College is expensive. It's right. ridiculous. So I understand that. Um, so to go down that path to get to Division One, you also have to think about these statistics because if 30% of them are not specializing before the age of 12 and 88% of them are playing multiple sports, those are just... We can't ignore those. Right. It's very telling. Right. 100%. Um, so thinking about, um, you know, we've covered the physical issues of specialization from a young age. Um, yep. And moving on into the specialization piece, um, thinking about beyond the physicalness, the mental side of things, yep. sometimes um, I would feel... This is terrible to say, but sometimes towards the end of the softball season, I was excited for it to be over because I was exhausted, A, and B, I was ready for another sport to start. Hockey, I loved hockey, um, and I was ready for my winter sport to start. And then same thing, by the end of the hockey season, I'm like, wow, I'm just, I'm exhausted mentally. Um, I'm just ready for a new look. I'm ready for a new sport. And then I always felt refreshed. Um, and yeah, there were days I was going back and forth between the field and the rink, and those are exhausting too. But I just felt like the way that I grew up playing sports, like I needed something else besides the, the same, the same, the same, the same. And in this article and in a couple articles we read, it shows you the mental health um, side and kind of downward side of specializing in a sport. Yeah. Yeah, specialization can really cause mental health to suffer. I think, um, again, we talk about the the physical stress on bodies, but sometimes I think what's lost in that, if you think about the side effects of specialization, we lose the, the mental side effects. And I think, you know, we can relate it to, to these days. We talk about Zoom meetings, being on Zoom meetings all day is exhausting. <laughs> it's mentally right? exhausting. It's it's exhausting as compared to, you know, being in person and, and doing different things. But staring at a screen all day and being super attentive in, in that sense is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the same thing can be said about focusing so much on one sport consistently and constantly even. Mm -hmm. um, it's exhausting. And I think if you we talk about our own experiences I know speaking for myself like I took at least a month off every year like a straight up a month off like yeah maybe I'd still go like throw a ball around or like I'd take some batting practice but I'm not doing right. anything organized for a month I'm giving myself that mental right. break and it's, right it's the pressure situations too that you're taking yourself out of which is understandable and to map it out more for specialization it, it's all connected so if you specialize in a sport, you're more apt to get to use, overuse your muscles, get those injuries. And then when you get an injury, that also leads to some mental health sides of things because again, going back to that circle, if we're specializing to be elite, if we're specializing to get my division one scholarship, well now I'm sitting on the bench because I have an injury. And right. oh my goodness, um, when, when you're injured and when that's out of your control, it's human 
to freak out about that a little bit because you're always worried that somebody is going to pass you, that you're not going to get that scholarship that um, you were hoping to get or that you've been working so hard to get. Um, so I just feel like it's this big balloon circle that has so many side effects on your mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. I think an idea I think that just gets lost amongst all the scientific explanations and pressures from all over the place. I think something that gets lost is just the importance of having fun in sport. You know, why did we play softball when we were growing up? Because we had fun doing it. 100%. Not because anybody else wanted us to, not because we felt like we had to, because we wanted to, because we had fun playing with our friends. And I think like that was the best part about growing up playing town ball. Like you're playing softball with the friends that you're growing up with, you know? And right. I, I'm just like, I had an amazing experience in college and, and before that with club when I was older, like playing with girls who were from other, other cities and whatnot. And that was so much fun. But I think growing up, like as a little kid, it's so important to have those connections with kids that you are around on a daily basis. And mm-hmm. I mean, you, you think about it right now, like that's something kids, young kids are losing right now because they don't get the benefit of being in class in person right now. And you can speak to that as an educator, right. um, but I mean, it's, it's crazy. And we've said it so many times already, but youth sports, it just touches on so many different things and there's so many different sides of it. But I think yeah. it just all should come back. If, if it's going right, youth sports should be all about fun. Right. I, I agree a hundred percent. And, um, it's, it's interesting, the, word, the term like specialization, even when we were growing up, which wasn't that long ago, by the way, I feel like that wasn't really a thing to like specialize in something, to like be elite in one thing. Like if you were the best in a sport, odds are you played another sport. That's just how it was. Um, Andrew Jackson, a member of the like home team. Odds are. Go ahead. I was gonna say, that is still most likely the odds today. If you're the best in the sport, you probably still are a multi-athlete. Right, and watching the draft, the NFL draft over the weekend, there were so many um, athletes, they would put like the ticker up of like fun facts. And it was always like, he was an elite basketball player or this person ran track um, and kicked butt in the 100 meter or 400 meter, whatever it was. Like Um, a high school baseball champion. Right, exactly. And I was going to say, Angie Jackson, a member of the Save at Home team, all-American softball player in college, and she played soccer and basketball. And she was still able to um, be the best (laughs) in softball. So um, that's where I think the term specialization is so interesting to me because at first I was just like, well, what does that mean? Because we didn't really grow up with that. Um, But now it's, wow. it's, it's a huge topic, specialization in youth sports. Um, so if we think about why kids um, choose one sport, or if we think about just why your one sport, whatever it is, is so pressurized or is so, um, yeah, I think pressurized is a good term. Yeah, that's the right word. Yeah, so the, the first thing we were gonna talk about with that are pressures from the outside. So pressures from parents and coaches, um, to be the best and I I think a huge part in all of this goes back to the coach um, who's leading the team I think that if you're feeling a ton of pressure in your situation um, you have to take a look at who's the leader on the team as far as the adult and what are some of those parental pressures coming from the outside yeah absolutely and I think I can speak to, so as I mentioned in the previous um, podcast, I don't currently coach anyone um, or club or high school level, but I do have experience coaching um, from my past. And uh, most recently I coached a group of 14 U's a couple summers ago, and it was a fantastic experience, but they all told me at the end of the season, they had so much fun with me as their coach. And they said the biggest reason was because I just encouraged them to go out there and have fun. Right. And like, again, we just touched on it in the, in the last part, but 
I think that's something that is so often lost. And you mentioned coaches. I think parents see the way coaches are on the field. Right. Coaches who are yelling and screaming at 14 year olds and, and they must think, oh my gosh, like my kid, like they're doing something wrong. So I got to put more pressure on them. And mm-hmm. maybe it's not, it's not intentional probably a lot of the time, but it's something that just happens because you see actions and, and that just, it becomes again, a nasty cycle. And I, going back to our own youth sports experiences, I remember playing my first year of club softball when I was 13, 14 years old, and we were playing against another club team. And this head coach from this other team was yelling and screaming at his players up to bat from his spot by third base. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, like I would never, ever want to play for somebody like that. And I talked to my parents after the game and my mom was, was like, oh my gosh, Emily, like I'm never, ever going to let you play for somebody who treats his players like that. Right. <laughs> um, you don't have to worry about that because I don't ever want to play for somebody like that. Right. Right. So a lot of these pressure situations in youth sports um, comes back to the idea of um, who are the parents behind the team um, and who's the organization running the team or who is that group of parents um, or excuse me, coaches that are, that are involved. And as adults now, since we're in the adult world, we know that one of the things that can really explode pressure is money. Money. Um, money. So if we transition a little bit now into youth sports and cost, that's where I think a lot of the parent pressure can come from because it, I'm not a parent, so I, I can't say this is 100% happening, but right. I, I feel like there has been situations and I've seen them as a coach um, and even as an educator, as a teacher. I, I've seen parents say directly to their kids, well, I'm spending all this money, so better do something with it. Yep. Right. So, and if we get to the ideas of, of club sports, specifically with club softball, um, it, it's up there for a season. Um, it's different for every club team, but it's not uncommon for you to spend over a thousand dollars to oh, commit to a that. club team, way right. more than a thousand dollars. Right, they're not your going town ball rates anymore. That's right. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's for darn right. sure. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. And we talked again about the, the mental pressure um, for these kids, and you know their parents are saying this this stuff about how how much money they're paying even if the parents aren't aren't saying oh my i'm paying so much money right they're the kids know how much kids know it's expensive they are right. not 100 they understand they're yeah. only understand that it's expensive and even if they have the most encouraging and supportive parents in the world there's kids out there who are going to feel bad about their parents spending all this money yeah. on them and inherently and strike out strike out right i mean that, on the that's field. so hard yeah, right. and life because they're gonna think, oh my God, I'm all, they've spent all this money on me. If I don't go somewhere to get a scholarship and play softball, right? Well, they just wasted all this money. It was all for naught, right? And it it's just it's really tough um, because as an adult and as administrators and coaches of sports, we know costs get high right now with with sports. And if you if you just think about high school sports. And I, I think a lot of times people ask, like for a fee, if you pay for a high school sport, well, where does all this money go? Well, it goes to supplies, it goes to insurance, it goes to the referees, it goes to the buses and the traveling, and then it goes back into the department for payroll. So it's there's just so many aspects of sports now, and we're just going up and up and up sometimes in costs. Well, and what you mentioned, the model you mentioned, I mean, that's a that's a nonprofit type model there, right? That's that's your typical public school model. Yes. You talk yes. about like club programs, you can charge up the wazoo. <laughs> to, that's a great point. It, it's true. People are gonna pay through the nose to get their kid on that team to yeah. get them that quote unquote exposure that they wouldn't get 
by paying less elsewhere. Right. And, you know, I think it's such a ridiculous concept. And you mentioned I'm in I'm in grad school right now, um, getting my master's um, in sports management, basically through the University of Washington. Yeah. And one of my whoop whoop. Uh, whoop, whoop uh, <laughs> one of my uh, classmates he is a division two baseball coach um out in olympia washington and he was talking to us one day and because you know we're in higher education we're not we're not in our professions to make a lot of money at the end of the day and and we're all joking about it but he's he's sitting there and he says to us you guys want to make a lot of money you go into youth sports (laughs) and he was he was he's serious and right he kind of laughed at first but then he's like no guys I'm serious and we're like you're right and it's because you know like I said club softball club sports club anything people will pay crazy ridiculous amounts of money just because they want their kid to have the quote again best experience and best exposure that they are possibly going to get right and I guess my question for you, being in sports admin, um, would you say that people, for the most part, I mean, everyone has their own reasons of, of why they do things, but I guess I'm just a little naive to why you would spend all that money unless in the end, your end goal was to get a scholarship. Either A, maybe your all of your child's friends are doing it and all that social aspect, that's great too, but I, is that still the number one reason why people are spending so much money? Because they think they're going to get a return on that money because they're going to get college paid for. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I don't have literature on hand right now to right. say something concretely either way. And I'm and sure- And I don't know if anyone could even answer that question. Right, exactly. Because I mean, it's all a matter of opinion, but from what I've seen and, and what I've experienced, I would say that's, that's a large portion of what people are hoping to achieve by going through this intensive training growing up um, but I mean at the end of the day like you do all this training you you get this scholarship and you play like what comes after that right like right it's it's some crazy statistic about I want to say it's like 0.01 of all like high school athletes end up going professional yeah you know? right crazy crazy low number and yeah. i think that's kind of like a long-term goal for a few people i think you have a very very small subset of people who are are in these high pressure um high quote unquote exposure programs sure because, like they just want to play at a high level i think that's there but yeah. i don't think that's often a main goal yeah purpose behind doing it right um, I think a lot of people do it so so they feel like they'll be most prepared to play at the next level. Right. I would Whatever agree with that you. next level might, might be. Uh-huh. I would agree with you. And this is kind of where we get at that mix between the difference between, like, travel softball and, like, really intense club softball. Um, yeah. Because I'm a huge advocate for travel softball. I love travel softball. Um, Travel softball, though, doesn't necessarily mean like we have to go out of the state every weekend, in in my opinion. But but I think that is where we're sort of at this crossroads in softball is, and I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to make this podcast because I think a lot of parents go into club softball and they wonder like, well, should we be going to South Dakota um, Emily and I live in Minnesota, for those of you who are listening out of state. But anyways, I think there's parents who come into our meetings and they're like, well, should we be going down to Indiana this weekend? Should we be going to South Dakota the next weekend? Should we be going around? And sometimes I have a tough time answering because I'm just like, I I don't know. I didn't really do that as right. a kid, but it seems to be the thing now. Um, it's going to cost a lot of money. and. Yeah. You know, I'm protect not paying for it. So (laughs) work it over. (laughs) I don't have a kid on the team, so you want it, you're paying for it. (laughs) Right, and so I think, and that's part of the reason why youth sports has erupted because 
and this is another aspect that I wanted to get at because um, pretty much what is to stop like you and I from tomorrow deciding um, we're going to start a club team? Nothing. There's nothing stopping you. Nothing stopping us from doing that. Yeah. Another problem because <laughs> you got, I'm, I'm going to go off here, but. The- it's on the list. Go ahead. Because I wanted to get at that because it seemed like when we were growing up, um, there was like the, the club team started coming around right. and you had to big ones. There was a good sweet spot of good club programs that you could play for. There was. It was great. Go, go around, same thing, like play in in-state tournaments and just play at that high level. Yeah. Um, against other really high level competition from in-state, yeah. no crazy travel costs or anything. That was that was a great time, you know? Yeah, it was. Good old days, that was That's great. what I'm saying, travel, like we are huge advocates for travel softball. We are, it's, it teaches you, I mean, as an educator, it teaches you things you will never learn in a classroom. It teaches you about failure, friendship. It teaches you aspects of mental health. Like it, there's such great stuff to travel ball, but with this aspect of club softball, like as a coach, I feel like I go to a tournament and I look at the list and there's teams in Minnesota and I'm like, well, who the heck are you? I've, I've yep. never heard of you. And you weren't, you've never been at a tournament before. And this this might be a little extreme, but I feel like there are pods of teams, um, parents got together and they say, hey, we don't like that Emily Carr as our coach. So we're just gonna go form our own team and let's pay for some cool jerseys. Um, we'll, we'll pitch in to travel around and there you go. They have a club team now. And that's the thing, that's the thing, you know? And you, you say it like that and it makes it, that's exactly right because now club teams, when when we were growing up, I don't know if they're still called it, but like elite teams, is that is that still a thing? Yes, yes. So now everybody, everybody is elite. There's right. nothing, nothing in the slightest elite about any elite team anymore because <laughs> that label means nothing it's nothing it is a little washed it is a little washed arbitrary and the thing about it that really fires me up is is these kids they they don't they don't understand that it's it's like a participation trophy you know like there's nothing special about being on an elite team when there's there's an A, a elite team, a B elite team, and a C elite team. And kids who are on, <laughs> I have nothing. That is, that's funny. That's true though. It's, it's ridiculous. There's, yeah. Like what I is, what is, the, like, what is the D minus elite team? Like, what does that mean? Right. Like there's no. <laughs> no, I totally see what you're saying. And it's, it's kind of funny because like growing up, at least to me, what made a club team a club team was not only like the other aspects of traveling, but it was the difference between like um, a division three, division two, division one college coach coaching you in the summer, like that elite level of coaching that you're learning from compared to like my uncle Joe being your coach. Like that's not the same as being coached by um, a division one or division two, division three softball coach. Um, So like to me, the coaching side of it was where like the elite came in like you can have the best players on the team which is like an elite team but when we were growing up a club team was a club team because like um a, a really good coach like a really well-known coach was coaching that team and he or she would put their team together and that was an elite team not and only they have it, high quality players to go right. along with. high it, quality yes they have the highest quality players and they're the highest quality coach. Like they don't just have, like I said, my uncle Joe yelling and screaming um, and handpicking his players and thinking they can be like a club team. Right. And you know what made those, again, going back to the, the high quality player aspect of it, you know what made those high quality players actually high quality? The fact that they had the opportunity to develop and learn their skills in unpressurized, town ball team atmospheres yes a hundred percent and i would i would agree with you a hundred percent like 
and this is the other aspect of sports that I was going to get to is the washout of community teams. Yep. Um, because you don't see a lot of those, unfortunately. Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, like I said, coaching last summer and coaching hopefully <laughs> this summer if we have a, if we have a season. Um, you just look at the teams in a tournament and you don't see a lot of communities. So in fact, sad. the summer before I was supposed to go to St. Ben's, I played for North St. Paul Community, and we were a really good team. Like, we we were competitive with the Sting, with the Magic. Um, and for those of you who are from Minnesota, you know those were really good teams um, back in the early 2010s and moving up. And so we were competitive with those teams, but they decided that none of them were really going on to play in college. A couple of them did, uh, but they folded because they were like, we, we just, we're not playing in college. We can't com- compete with these teams. So I, I go back to um, another city to see if they have a team I can play for. And they they almost laughed at me. They were like, no, we don't have 18 youth softball anymore. I mean, where have you been? I'm like, what do you mean, where have I been? Where am I supposed to play now? Um, so my only options now were to either take the summer off before I was going to go play in college. So I was a little nervous about that or to have to pay go down for, the street to uncle joe and pay twelve thousand dollars for one summer of softball that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> that's it that was it and not to right and so that's kind of the sad part to me is are, do you think that um we are narrowing the field here and are we taking away opportunities for kids to play softball because yes there's still rec leagues like of course there are every city there's probably a form of a rec league um and you can go play and have fun but it seems like the rec leagues now are like a little bit down here but then if you want to play like club then you got to be up here like there's no middle ground anymore so are we taking opportunities oh, away a whole other episode to talk about access in youth sports buddy a whole yeah. episode to and, talk and about we that. might yeah but yes i i completely i think that's absolutely true i think the structure of youth sports nowadays and we talked about the money the pressure of all of it i think that's it's limiting access for a lot of kids who otherwise might have had the opportunity to play and it's causing kids to drop out of sport at a higher rate than ever before yeah. um before they even become a teenager so i think yeah it's it's incredibly disheartening um, especially knowing the, the really positive experiences that we had and that have a ball, I'm telling you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it, it's really disheartening to know that um, the environment of today's youth sports are, are so drastically different mm-hmm. that it is it's limiting opportunity. Like yeah. Kids, kids might not even have the opportunity to play. Yeah. Anymore. And on the aspect of that, um, it's almost really difficult to have a good, solid club program because there's so many club teams out there. Um, if you're not playing on a club team, uh, unless you have like really good friends and really good support on the team, I would encourage you to say. But otherwise, like, what is to stop them from like going across the street and playing on Uncle Joe's club team? Nothing. <laughs> so they it's just your question, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's just messy because, like I said, it's it's really interesting to go to all these tournaments and look at the list of of club teams, and I'm just sometimes I'm like, where did you come from? <laughs> where did you go? Yeah, come from where Cotton Eye Because Cotton Eye Joe's got a club team now. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has one tones. Yes, <laughs> no, I think that's true. I think there's truth in that, and I don't think. I'm going to say this. I don't think softball is the only sport that has been polarized by this. I think this is in many different areas. Um, that is, again, I was only a hockey player, and I know there's a lot of club hockey, triple A hockey now, whatever you want to call it. Yep, um, that I, is yeah. exactly right. I mean, you you were winding that up like it was going to be the hottest take since, since fried eggs in the oven, but. <laughs> Man, yeah, yeah. Kind of a buzzkill, though. <laughs> it, was, it was a cold take. It was a freezing cold take because you're exactly right. It's right. not the softball. It's every sport. 
It is. It is at Resort. And probably for similar reasons. I mean, there's not, there, in the last 20 minutes that we've been talking about this, have we even mentioned the sport of softball? Like, we haven't even mentioned, like, oh, well, if you're a pitcher, if you're only a third baseman, or blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. Like, if you're not playing, or if you're not happy with the team you're on, it's not right. that hard to find another team. You're gonna have to pay. You're gonna have to open up that wallet. Yeah, um, but they'll but take you. They'll take you. They'll you got the money. They got the time. <laughs> that is so good, buddy. Um, so moving on, youth sports is. And we haven't even like crashed the surface on this. I mean, Honestly, yeah. We're just kind of skimming over it, and we might we might have to do a part two of youth sports. I think we might have to. Yeah. And you know, COVID might last. We don't know how long COVID is going to last. And since we don't have specific teams and right. players to talk about, um, like the NCAA, and like we should be preparing for the College World Series in a couple right. of weeks. Right. Um, but anyways, we could do youth sports for the next like month if you want. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but anyways, moving on. Um, I, I wrote this question down for you. Do you think there's ever going to be like a rebound? Like, oh my gosh. We really freaked out over this whole youth sports thing. Let's open up again some middle ground community travel ball teams. Let's kind of rebound this and have a viable option for people who don't want to open up their wallet or don't want to travel all the time. Because as a coach and as an educator as well, we're just limiting those opportunities for people who can't um, either don't want to travel I mean, my, my family have four kids. And so it, if you think that each child was gonna be on a, a club team and traveling all over the place, that was never gonna happen. So I grew up in a big family and so we didn't really wanna travel a lot. And I mean, I wasn't the, the best player on the team all the time, but I probably could have, but I didn't want to because I didn't wanna be away from my family. Anyways, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> what I'm saying is um, that kind of, format is not for everybody so do you think there will be some sort of rebound um, where other options start to open up yeah it's a great question and I think from my my personal experience with this sort of thing I think it takes a lot of time a big cultural event to reset these sorts of things and ironically enough I think this this pandemic might be exactly what um will potentially tip the scales with this. I think this has been such a hard time for everybody, um, emotionally, physically, and financially, quite frankly. And yeah, I think when it comes down to it, there's gonna be a lot of individuals, businesses, um, I mean, you name it, a lot of a lot of people and institutions are going to be struggling and there's not going to be as many people who I think are going to be as willing to fork over five to ten thousand dollars for their kid to play softball year round, you know? Yeah. And I think maybe my hope is that there will be a realization that, you know, maybe we don't need this. Maybe my kid will be just as good of a player if they they don't play every single day or every single month of the year. Yeah. No. And so who knows what's going to happen, but I think this particular time in the world right now might have the potential to to reset this this whole yeah. space. Yeah, we will see uh, the kind of impact that this has, um, especially when it comes down to money. Um, and the other thing we wanted to talk about um, as far as how do we bring the pressure down a little bit on youth sports because it is so much needed um, is a simple remedy to pick up another sport yeah I think that's another great question um, I don't think being a multi-sport athlete necessarily remedies it I think it, it greatly helps it yeah. because when you play another sport you're forced to divert time away which you otherwise might be dedicating to a certain sport. Yep. Um, I think that's that's crucial. But I think um, a, a big, big, big thing that we would need to see to remedy this current situation is 
uh, re-emphasis on unstructured free play. And when I when I say that, I mean kids going and playing at the neighborhood park. You know, kids playing yeah. basketball in in somebody's driveway or kids throwing a ball around in in the front yard. You know, just that kind of activity because it is not bad to to specialize after a certain age and to to say you are a multi-sport athlete like yes I understand that in most times that means you are playing sport um competitively for at for two different sports yep. um, but I think unstructured like the the unstructured free play of multiple sports does the same thing as playing competitively in in two different sports yeah and I think just having the ability and the the time to be able to go and do that sort of thing and just just let loose and not worry about um who's winning who's losing um am I the best player on the team like not worrying about that sort of thing is not only better for your physical health but it's a really really nice and needed break for mental health as well yeah and we're gonna do a whole show, uh, a whole show, excuse me, on mental health. Um, we uh, we take that really seriously at the Safe at Home team because we've seen it. Um, we've seen it have an impact on kids um, on the field, in the classroom, everywhere. So we're gonna have a show about that. Uh, but I think to get at one of the things I always say, especially. Um, when people ask me like, oh, should we go play for this big club team? Should, should I quit my other sport to focus on something? And especially when the parents ask me, um, in the 1900s and into the 1910s, this is of course for the men, sports were brought into the NCAA or the NCAA, I should say, was created. Sports were created in that area to basically keep men out of trouble um, to keep them from gambling from doing bad things that they shouldn't have been doing and like I still think that sports are a good way to do that so it's a great right and so I, I just don't think we're too far away from that and that was part of the reason my parents liked all of us all four of us playing sports because then we didn't have time to get in trouble we just didn't um and so when people ask me that question about should I go play for this club team should I do something else I I really want them to think about well where what's the end goal here is the end goal for me to get a division one scholarship because then you have to go this way is the end goal for me to maybe play in college somewhere then you have to go this way is the end goal for me to just let loose and have fun and I have this really group of friends that's going this way and I should just go play on this team instead of you know trying to be the D1 hero um so the other thing I wrote down is like know your athlete and I told you this story last week Emily I don't think we put it on the show but I played hockey in high school and my jersey was not always the one out on the ice because I played with division one players who knew they were going division one and, and they were better than me. So why would I go out there when they need to go do their thing? And that's a whole nother issue for parents is you just have to really know your athlete and know kind of where they fit in the whole scheme of their team and the whole scheme of the sport that they're playing in. Yeah, being realistic, that's that's huge and yeah. Um, I think that that helps with a lot of mental pressure, just being realistic about expectations for your athletes, even though I think it's, it's pretty ridiculous if you're, I don't know, like you can have expectations as a parent, but to put expectations on somebody else and put pressure on them, like in regards to expectations, I think that's just, again, another really negative um, impact on, on mental health. Um, But yeah, I think, um, being realistic about your abilities and what, not necessarily even about your abilities, but what you want to do. Right. And what is the end goal here? Exactly. Like what you were saying, Tones. Um, I think if you have a good idea about that, then then you know what you need to do to get there. And yeah. Um, again, 
I think sometimes people get a little delusional about thinking what they need to do to get there. Like we talked about it, overuse injuries are, are not good. They're not going to help you get there. Yeah. Overworking your body is not going to help you. Um, but it, it is very helpful to know what you want and, yeah. and that helps in, in carving and guiding a path to get there. Right. A hundred percent. And I almost feel like, um, I could be an agent for youth sports and, and be like, Hey, um, you're a softball player. You're, you want to find a team. Um, okay. Let me find you 15 different teams you could pick from in this like five city area. You know what I mean? Like there's just so many options. So you need to know what you want. And if you're not happy with a particular coach, a particular place that happens, um, there's plenty of options. I guess that's a good thing. But again, the options are based upon the fact that you pay to play. I, I think if we're talking the club softball sense. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're gonna start wrapping it up here. Um, still a lot to unpack with this one. Like I feel, I, right. I feel like uh, we're gonna probably bring youth sports back into the mix again. Um, again, sports have been a huge part of MCAR uh, and myself growing up and we love sports so much and I see so much value in the sport not only in the sport of softball but in so many other sports um, so that's why we are so passionate about youth sports um, and kids being kids and, and playing and like I said you can learn so many things um, from youth sports absolutely so um, to end the show today we are going to do some final shout outs similar to last week. Uh, buddy, what is your shout out today? Well, obviously my shout out starts with you, my wonderful co-host, just brightening my day. Um, I, I told Tones this last week and she's, she laughed really hard and said, oh my gosh, you should have said that on the show. Oh, oh no. Um, oh, <laughs> no. Some of you might, I mean, you might not know us personally, so... Tones is a very difficult person to get a hold of, and <laughs> we are close friends. Um, Absolutely. Sometimes she's she can be very difficult to get a hold of. Um, for example, we both are on Team iPhone, so I will sometimes FaceTime Tones, and I don't know if she has ever picked up a FaceTime call for me. Ever? <laughs> Maybe once. I don't know. <laughs> No, it might be ever. It might be. I, I, it might be ever. <laughs> I'll text her. Sometimes she'll take like seven, eight hours to respond or just like not respond at all and then respond to one of our other friends. And Yeah. Yeah, I'm the worst. <laughs> Difficult woman to get a hold of. But whenever I have texted her about this podcast, I'm she there. responds in less than two minutes. <laughs> she is on the ball so i'm on it i guess my shout out is not it is it is to you obviously love you um love you buddy but it is more just to the save at home podcast and to the listeners because yeah. without the existence of this i'd probably still be waiting to hear back from tones about hanging <laughs> out three months ago so <laughs> thank you that's true my and heart. and if you text me about the podcast and you secretly trick me like hey let's get together and work on the podcast after all this corona stuff and i show up and you're actually like nope just kidding we're gonna go to mcdonald's or something i would totally fall for that just yeah just to let you know no i know i i told you i i'm going to use that against you <laughs> force you to hang out with me uh um yeah my shout out today um was over the weekend um I had nothing to do besides um, work a little bit. But over the weekend, I watched the NFL draft, which um, I usually, like, kind of watch the first round. But I've never actually, like, sat down and watched the draft. And, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm such a loser. I, like, cry at for every every single pick. I'm just a mess because they show they, they pick them – then they show the family, everyone's crying. They're like, yeah, man, yeah, we yeah. did it. We made it. And I was so emotional over the whole thing. Um, I'm also shouting it out because I'm a big Vikings fan, right? Yep. I know cool. you are too, buddy. Yep. Um, 
I've been hearing some good things. I don't know anything about really draft picks and their stock, but I've been hearing good things about what the Vikings did over the weekend. So, yeah, um, I've heard Super Bowl, they... here we come. Is that too premature? I, I don't mean, know. Every year, every year, honey. <laughs> <laughs> every year. <laughs> That's good. That's true. Uh, yep. Minnesota sports fans, what else do we do? That's right. Um, we only dream. Uh, but anyways, that is our podcast for tonight. Um, huge shout out to all the listeners out there. Um, we are here for you guys. We would love to hear from you guys. Our podcast is now on six different platforms. Um, so check us out. Um, you are able to message us either on Instagram, message us through the podcast, leave a comment on our YouTube channel. Um, we want to hear from you. Give us some feedback on how we're doing. Um, answer any questions that you have, softball, life, whatever it may be. Um, we are here for you. So thanks everybody for listening this week. Next week, we are going to move on to another show. Uh, maybe youth sports uh, or maybe some mental health stuff. Either way, uh, we hope you guys tune in for another episode next week. Um, so huge thank you. Huge shout outs to all of our listeners out there. Um, that's all we got for tonight. Thanks a lot, buddy. You're a huge co-host. You're, you're the best, buddy. You're the best. <laughs> All right, everybody. Always remember to run fast, keep a smile on your face, and you will be safe at home.